I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Welcome back to the Lantern Rouge Cycling Podcast with Benji Nyson. I hit 100k subs yesterday. We're about to hit 10k subs on the potty. Benji started a blog. It's all happening. The season's kicking off. It's all going in the right direction. What was that article? You already wrote one, didn't you, Benji? What was it about? Yeah, I just felt like writing something to see if I if I uh, enjoy doing it. So I went ahead and selected two races from the Continental Division of Cycling from January and decided to write something about those two races because it's often not really talked about too much. But some interesting stuff happens down there. So, uh, yeah. It's on my Twitter if you want to check it out. But um, we've got some stuff to talk about. A very, 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 very interesting stage. Am I right? Yeah, Volta Catalunya, stage six from Tarragona to Mataro. But yeah, on that, a lot of you may not have listened to our first podcast where I might have introduced Benji. Benji was, or still is, big in the pro cycling manager community and as part of that he'd maintain a lot of the databases kind of like fifa ultimate team um with the rider attributes so he's really knowledgeable about what's going on in the continental circuits and i also think i don't know i think there'd be some appetite for a recap benji of uh copy bartoli because there's been some pretty interesting stuff going on there so maybe we can pressure benji to write about that but yeah catalonia <laughs> stage six hundred or 203k stage catalonia organizers i love them doing videos uh they're sending me great content but the profile they sent me straight lies uh it's i don't know whether the wire axis or what was wrong in it but it made it look harder than the monvon to the double monvon two stage in the tour de france in the la flamme rouge profile it it's rolly don't get me wrong but the two categorized climbs are 10 and a half k's at three percent and the last climb is three k's at three and a half percent which i mean it actually is more like three k's at four and a half five percent so i don't like the way the flamme rouge done that last climb either but perfectly balanced as all things should be between sprint for the climbing sprinters and breakaway whether it's the long break that let let gets let go or a late move on some of those rolly clients. But who was in that early break Benji? I think from 190Ks left, they started to form. Like, I uh, I watched the entire thing, and I can't remember a single name that was in the breakaway. Um, but they didn't end up <laughs> bringing themselves to the line, so does it really matter? <laughs> Tejada, Strakov, the Gazprom, Mohoric, Skelmose, Jensen, Duchesne for FTJ. Uh, those five riders were in the break. Aura, Azure Desert, DSM, all paced. They kept it within 
within check. It was we knew it was going to be one of those stages where Bora seemed very happy to control all day, probably for Sagan. Actually, I know he didn't like stage one. He got popped, but this this is not as hard as that stage in my view. It doesn't have the long climbs where someone like Movistar could try again. So yeah, it's pretty much just Bora keeping that break in check. Forty k's left. The gap was a minute. And seven, that last climb I mentioned, it crests 14 k's from the line with the false flat downhill run in to the finish, and then the finish is kind of a little bit uphill. So suits, Impy, Bora, Riders, uh, Lobato on Uscatel too. 30 k's left, the gap was coming down really quickly, 40 seconds, 35 seconds. I think Mohoric dropped out of the break. Strakov attacked out of it. Uh, and the rest of the other breakaway guys pretty much gave up. They going into the final climb, Ineos pacing or keeping all their riders at the front, actually, Movistar pacing. And with three Ks to go into that climb, they caught Strakov. And then, yeah, Movistar started pacing the climb. Benji, was that for. Valverde in the sprint? Was it to set up a Solaire attack? Was it just to try and drop Sagan again? What do you think the rationale was? I think we're like two to three years into into questioning Movistar's tactics in certain races, and I think that I just we're at a know. point where I think we're at a point where it doesn't matter because we don't know. Like today, <laughs> they've got a finish that is not really suitable for them anymore because Valverde is not able to out sprint the likes of a Sagan who's also in that peloton group. Perhaps they were thinking, what if we could drop Sagan? But it's a 3% climb. Like, I I know that he dropped on that first stage, but that was like a pretty, pretty much tiny bit bigger than today. That was 7Ks at 6%. Yeah, so uh, I don't know. He got over the Poggio. Exactly. But then again, we, we thought after the Poggio that the first stage might not be a problem either, but... You said as well yeah. that he would drop on that anyway. So, uh, yeah, but I think I think Movistar, they were perhaps trying to set something up for an attack near the top of that climb because you've got these kind of okay. situations also in Vuelta stages. The one that Cavagna won a few years ago, I think yep. he also had an attack on one of the last hills and that allowed him to get a gap on that peloton group and, uh, well, did exactly what you expected him to do today because not Movistar really was one of the first riders to attack. I think uh, one of the... Well, James Knox. James Knox was the first one for the Koenig. And uh, they had a bit of a plan today because that was very clear from that point onwards. James <laughs> they copied Knox E3. The attack. <laughs> yes, they tried it again, but it didn't work two days in a row. Um, James <laughs> Knox was doing the attack on that last hill, just near the top. And basically towards the top of that hill, he was being caught. And one of the next attacks was another the Koenig rider. So they've got that strategy of attacking getting caught and waiting until a bit later, so not directly, to make sure that the front of the group is once again in a bit of a more relaxed mode because nobody is at the front trying to get away. And I think another rider tried to get away. Reinhard Jansberg wow. was chasing someone, but who was it? Uh, well, the way I saw it was Bora clearly stated their intentions for a sprint. I mean, they've been riding mm-hmm. all day, but also they had Kemner on the front closing moves, keeping it all together. And just like he's a guy that is strong and could have attacked there, 
to use that strength to keep it pretty close together. Big move after Soler closed Knox was uh, Gesbert for Arkea Samzik. He yeah, he did a pretty good job yeah. attacking. UAE were working too, we think, for no for Milano. Their quick man, he climbs okay. Then I think Remika Vanya attacked at the top. Well, Poles had tried to get into the Knox Soler move, but yeah, that Cavagna second move actually got a gap over the top. It said on the ticket a 20 second advantage. I never nah. saw 20 seconds. I saw eight max. Like UAE and Bora had it absolutely pinned. They were. That's the problem when your name is Remy Cavagna. It actually becomes more difficult to win stages because if, if he was a Neo Pro, like maybe Jonas Ruch in Paris-Nice, stage six, Benji, similar flyer, Peloton was like, meh, we'll, we'll let him get 30 seconds. And I know there was a climb there, but when you're running Cavagna, Bora and UAE were like, no, 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 pinned it, bike exchange, we're also helping. Even Kelderman was pulling pulling him back at one point. Um Joseph Cherney, Benji's favourite quick stepper, who's moved there from CCC, attacked immediately after Cavagna got brought back with six and a half Ks to go. And then after five Ks, I didn't think anyone else could attack. It looked like sprint train. What do you think about Ineos, Benji? Do they know about a rule where the three-kilometre Rule has been moved to 1K because they did in the UAE tour. They keep pacing into the last <laughs> kilometre. Is it just a safety thing or what is it? I think the situation here is different than UAE. In this stage, we had with one and a half kilometre or, or almost one kilometre to go, we had a uh, a roundabout that was a bit treacherous when it comes to the run-in and then how you come out of that roundabout. And I think that's why this time around, they decided to stay at the front a bit longer. and. It wasn't really an issue either because I think from like two to one and a half kilometers to go, it started going uphill a tiny bit, but not not proper. It's not a climb, but it was a bit lumpy from that point onwards. And yeah. I think Ineos had no problem by being at the front there because one, it it's safer, and two, just after that, you've got the roundabout at which you can can then settle down and can then relax a tiny bit. But I at that point thought, well, somebody needs to attack because. I disagree that I thought this is going to be an all-out sprint from that point onwards. I um I knew that the roundabout was coming and that there were some kind of chicane just after that. And knowing that Ineos is setting the tempo here, riders who are not trying to keep everything together, they don't care. They're trying to keep their leaders safe. Then they won't be the one responding harshly if somebody comes from the right side of the road and flies past everybody. And Ineos won't be like, oh, we got to close that down because they don't have anybody to finish the stage with. So they'd be like pacing and other teams would have to quickly react to try and counter that since it's only 1.5 kilometers to go. So I was thinking somebody should do it and it didn't happen until 1k to go. They went around the roundabout and at a certain point I saw a noise cartel rider. People were calling it a rally rider, but I'm pretty sure it was a noise cartel rider. I asked on Twitter and Carlos uh, CR, thank you very much, pointed out it's Lobato that did this attack. Uh, who was it basically was doing a bit of a... Yes, really? a Bato attack um, just near the end of the stage. And I think what made this attack more strong compared to what the other riders were trying is, first of all, because it was Ineos at the front. So he had an ability to 
kind of get a bit of an extra time before some other team took over from Ineos to try and counter that. And he got a bit of a gap of 10 seconds, but one rider was back. One rider was back to counter that. And it was Remy Cavagna who just pedaled along and went to his wheel, not directly, but it took a bit, but he went to another, to another right-hand corner and then Cavagna was basically almost in the wheel. And I thought, yeah, with 500 meters to go, this guy with Cavagna on the wheel is not going to make it. Cavagna's taking over. And uh, I think that then it was pretty clear that it was going to the sprinters, right? Yeah, I think Lobardo, he's won uh, the Sterling stage in the Tour Down Under in 2015. He's older, vet, still pretty good. And the Sterling stage is very similar, up and down constantly, an attrition stage. Impey came second on that day to him. That's why I was surprised he attacked there, Benji. I thought he would have backed himself at the end. Maybe he doesn't have the top-end kick anymore. Uh, but he was a shout from me for a podium on one of these stages. But anyway, Cavagna basically was like, oh, oh well, I've been shut down. Just start to lead everybody out because he only knows how to ride one pace. Sagan <laughs> has made this group. Dion Smith is supposed to be there. Bike Exchange been working for him. We've got Milano, Impey, uh, Van Rensburg, Valgren, Almeida's a bit, 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 bit punchy. And I don't know why I had a stuttering issue there. And <laughs> Sagan came off the wheel of Mayos. And this is a great example in this messy finish when no one has a lead out. Coming off a lead out man's wheel that you don't trust to just follow a rider you think will be in the right place is going to be the better option. And that's what Sagan did today because Mayus exploded with 300 metres to go. If Sagan was behind him waiting for a lead out, wouldn't have even come top 10. Van Rensburg and Impey start their sprints pretty early. Impey's a pretty big, big guy, like giving a good draft to Sagan. I always forget how tall he is. They kind of pinch up in the middle of the road. Sagan can't choose which one's quicker. He's originally on Impey's wheel, and then he flicks to the right, maybe trying to go to the far right-hand side with 150, 125 metres to go, and then he just commits to this small space that's closing in the middle with uh, Reinhard Janze van Rensburg kind of squeezing Milano on the far right. Sagan slips through that gap, kind of like maybe a Bink Bank Touri stage he won back in the day. And once he went through, his kick was way too good, gapped everyone easily and took his first win of the 2021 season, Peter Sagan, ahead of Daryl Impey, Juan Sebastian Milano, third, Van Rensburg, fourth, Alexander Camp, fifth, Venturini, sixth, Cantor, seventh, Almeida, eighth, Valgren, ninth, and Maxim van Giels, tenth. What do you think about that sprint from Sagan, Benji? I mean, into the finish, he was the favourite for it, and if he's not sick with the field we have here, he really should be cleaning that up. Yep, he should be cleaning this up. The competition is not a strong sprinting field. Like, even with a Sagan that is not able to sprint properly in World Tour races, he should still be able to get at least a top two here. The only rider that could contend with him would be a uh, a Molano, if Molano was in the form of the Colombia uh, race we had last year, where he cleaned up 
like three or four stages. I don't remember at all how many, but he cleaned up a few stages and he was super powerful last year. But it's not there right now, and that's clear with how he ended up finishing today. So Peter Sagan takes a victory, a sprint finish. How long has it been? I generally don't know, but I can only remember the Giro stage he won last time. And before that, I think, ooh, it's been a while. It has to be. So, so the Giro obviously wasn't a, a sprint win. His last sprint win was stage five of the 2019 Tour de France in Colmar. That was a lumpy stage two with a longer climb. Go and look at that stage, actually. Go and look at that stage, look at the profile, and then you'll understand why when in a stage one podcast we were like, peaks again, should have been okay because that had back-to-back 5K, 7% climbs right near the fin- or pretty close to the finish. Um, so I'm, I'm really happy that Sagan's won this stage and a lot of you might be thinking, oh, well, is Sagan's a bit past it. What's the big deal? Well, for starters, he had COVID. That has affected his preparation, even if he doesn't have long-term negative effects from the actual COVID, um, the reality is he couldn't train for quite a while. So that's not ideal for him. Fourth at MSR, but then stage one, not looking so good. Torreno, not looking so good. That being said, still a pretty hard stage today, and he's still a massive name in the sport. Come back in a week, look at how many views the highlight video I put up with Sagan is going to get, and you'll realise that for a lot of casual fans of the sport, he is one of, if not the most, recognisable name globally still. So it is important for the sport that he keeps winning, and I'm really glad he opened the account this year at Catalonia. Benji, what do you think they should do with Sagan? He's got to go to the Tour. He's got to go to, I guess, the Classics. He's got Flanders, but Roubaix is going to get cancelled. I guess he's doing Giro. What would you do with him post-tour? I feel like they should send him to not, well, yes, easier races. I feel like they should send him to races for him to keep coming top three and winning sprints and having a good chance after the tour. I think that it's mainly going to be a preparation towards the uh, world champions and uh, world championship in Belgium, knowing that it's a pretty flat, slash gobbly parkour. He's probably going to be very interested in that. So I don't think we're going to see him in small race. I think we're going to see him build up his form or keep his form relatively stable towards that World Championships to try and peak there once again. Um, I think that's also kind of the thing he should do because, well, it's a parkour that on paper suits him and it suits a lot of riders though this year <laughs> because uh, back in the day where he won the likes of Richmond and so forth, there was no out for Nard or Mathieu Van der Poel to take care of. So uh, I'm curious how that will open up. And I hope that we can see those three fighting at their best on on that race because that would be a pretty uh, glory, I would say. Yeah, I think news of Sagan's demise is a little bit overblown. I think, yes, from 2014, there was a drop-off in dominance, I know he's got the world champs, etc. But like the dominance, 2011 to 14, 
was crazy. But since then, I think there's been a few unfortunate things happening. COVID messed with his season, maybe some issues in his personal life, maybe not enjoying it so much. And I think we, yeah, I think it's not going to take much for him to be back at maybe the 2019 level, Benji, to be honest. And that's still a really, really, really good rider. Green at the Tour de France against Wout van Aert. I'm not sure no. that's their focus. It or you think be. Wout's taking it? I think that someone else will take it. If it's not Wout, it might be Van der Poel. It might be, uh, I don't know. I think that there's other people with the same uh, areas of expertise these days that Roglic. are currently right. better than Sagan. Yep, true. Caleb in polka dots. All right, tomorrow's stage at the Volta Catalunya. 134Ks. Barcelona circuit, they do, I think, the reverse of the Monduith climb. And, but yeah, the first 65Ks, they pretty much just do a loop uh, southwest of Barca and then come back into town and do four or five laps of this, yeah, five laps of this uh, Olympic circuit, which is pretty tough. Like the interviewer asks again, are you looking forward to competing for tomorrow's stage? And he did the ballerini. He's like, me? No. <laughs> I'll let them go. <laughs> I think that's uh, the right idea. It's pretty hard. And there can be GC movement if you have a bad, bad day. Like, can someone gain a minute on Adam Yates? No, don't think so. Uh, but can Thomas, oh, if Valverde wins the stage, takes 10 bonus seconds plus four seconds on the road, if Thomas is in a second group, six or seven seconds behind, maybe third is up for grabs because Valverde's 14 seconds behind Thomas in the general classification. But yeah, the circuit, the climb, they do the reverse of now, and the last 700 metres are 8.3%. The first 2Ks of the Monduith climb are like oh, climbing for the first K, then falls flat, and then that real punch at the end. So it's nasty. And previous winners of the stage have included uh, Simon Yates, Valverde in 2017, Davide Formolo in 2019. You think, Benji, one for the GC men? One for the non-GC men punchers. I picked Woods and Hirschi. I, I thought they were going to win like Formula One, but Woods is too close on GC. Hirschi doesn't look good. So who is winning this stage? I think Woods is a good call. I also think that I kind of see these kind of stages as the stages on which Almeida can get his first victory as a pro because... He can't do it on the mountain stage against the big guns. He needs to get it from hill stages or stages where there's an opportunity to attack from a group in the last portion and use his time trial capabilities to bring this one home. And I think that will play definitely in the cards on this parkour. Uh, I don't know. The hard thing is that I don't know who would control the race here. And that's my issue with this one. Ineos likely won't care about the breakaway because I don't see a GC close person getting into the breakaway on this kind of stage. Would surprise me. Um, but outside of that, I think that, yeah, I think I'm going to go for if the breakaway wins towards the end and if the breakaway does not win, 
all nighter. I think Chris Harper, Rigoberto Uran, Kemner, Dela Cruz, Dan Martin, they're all some names I'd be expecting to get up there. James Knox as well should have a crack. Bob Jungles, I know what's going on with him, Benji. Not that I'd expect him maybe to win tomorrow's stage, but yeah, been weird his season so far. And I don't think I don't think there's gonna be any G C movement. I think Thomas is almost stronger than Valverde at the moment. But we'll let you go. Thanks to Lacole for supporting the podcast. As always, we'll have the Hent Vavelham recap as well as Catalonia Stage 7 recap tomorrow. Oh, men and women's can fable ham, so it'll be a triple header. Feel sorry for us, but I won't complain. Benji tells me I'm not allowed to complain, and we'll see you tomorrow for a packed Sunday of cycling. Ciao.